Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Our guest now is Douglas Perry, an award-winning writer and editor whose works appeared in the Chicago Tribune, the San Jose Mercury News, the Oregonian, Tennis, and many other publications. He's put out a book called Elliot Ness, The Rise and Fall of an American Hero. And as one who was a fan of the old Untouchable show, I found this book fascinating. We think we know everything there is to know about Elliot Ness, but in reality, we really don't, do we, Douglas? I mean, he's a guy, we know some of that stuff with the Al Capone days, but uh, there's a lot more to Elliot Ness than just that time. That's right. Uh, that's, that's what uh, drew me to this subject. Here you have this guy who is world famous, uh, and yet what we actually know about him is very little, and, and much of that is incorrect. Uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of gossip and uh, mythologizing misperceptions out there uh, that even historians have fallen into over the years. And uh, one thing I discovered is, is that, you know, really uh, his life had never truly been uh, properly investigated. Uh, so I was, uh, I was happy to do that and... Uh, well, and I think what's great is you realize this guy really was an incredible man. I mean, some of the things he did after the uh, the Capone days really uh, have affected the way we fight crime in this country. But on the other hand, he wasn't the hero that, uh, in the way he was portrayed, say, by Robert Stack, for example, in, in the TV show or by, uh, you know, Kevin Costner in the uh, movie. I remember in the old television show, he was beyond reproach when it came to his family life with women and so forth. Actually, he had some problems in that regard, didn't he? He did, and, th- and that's right. Ness would not have recognized the Hollywood uh, portrayals of him. Uh, he was uh, absolutely incorruptible as a lawman and a very innovative lawman who, who uh, uh, in many ways, uh, helped uh, invent what we now know of as the modern uh, police force. And this is all stuff that, that came after the untouchables, which most people don't know about. Um, but in his personal life, he, he did have troubles. Uh, he was a depressive personality, and uh, he had trouble kind of getting to emotional highs. And, and this, this made him a, a great lawman because he needed the rush, the thrill of uh, these exciting adventures, of, of busting into uh, an illegal brewery or to a gambling hall. Uh, he loved that kind of stuff, uh, and so he, he was obsessed with work. Uh, but he couldn't maintain that in his personal life. Uh, he was married three times. Uh, by all accounts, he loved all three of his wives, but he had trouble with intimacy, and uh, all three marriages foundered. Uh, he, he drank. Uh, he did... Um, did cheat on his wives. Uh, he was a he was a flawed man, and uh, and but that doesn't mean he wasn't a good man. He tried very hard to be a good man. It's something he struggled with his whole life. Well, and that's what this book does. It really it brings out the story of, of a real person, not this mythical figure that we've turned him into. You know, you said the word incorruptible at that time with where America was in terms of. Uh, 
you know, we, we were into the Depression and all of a sudden now Prohibition's there. Uh, it was hard to find somebody that really was incorruptible like that. I mean, and, and the, the idea of the untouchables, uh, that was a big thing at his time, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was uh, very difficult to find uh, honest men uh, in law enforcement, uh, particularly during Prohibition when, uh, you know, in Chicago, Al Capone's outfit was willing to throw just huge sums of money uh, at uh, police officers and Prohibition agents and judges, uh, and that's why they had free reign of that town for so long. And Ness and his group were the first to uh, really be difficult for the Capone team to uh, to knock aside. Uh, they offered uh, to uh, pay Ness uh, his entire annual salary every single month if he would just back off, and Ness refused. Uh, now, not all of the members of the Untouchables uh, were untouchable. Uh, there, there was actually not a set uh, group. Agents cycled in and out of the squad, and uh, some of them did accept bribes, and Ness kept a very close eye on all of them with kind of a core group of, of, of men who, who helped them with that. And when they found that someone was taking bribes, they would just move them right off of the squad and bring someone else in. As you mentioned in the book, while he did uh, make life very tough for Al Capone, he really had nothing to do with uh, the tax evasion thing, which actually put uh, Capone in prison. That's right, and that's where you see a lot of the uh, criticism against Ness and really kind of a, the unwinding of his reputation over the years uh, is based on uh, journalists and historians, you know, looking at the Hollywood representations of this guy who, you know, personally took down Al Capone and then looking at the record and seeing that Capone was sent away on tax charges and they think, oh, well, wait a minute, I guess this guy, Elliot Ness, was a big fraud. Well, he wasn't a big fraud. Uh, it's it's very true that Ness had absolutely nothing to do with the tax case that sent Capone to prison. Uh, but he never claimed that he did, and that wasn't his charge. It wasn't part of his mission. His job, and the, the untouchable's job, uh, was to go out there and harass the Capone outfit, make it difficult for them to, uh, you know, make their uh, illegal beer and transport it and sell it, uh, and to squeeze Capone's uh, income stream, and they did that. They did a very good job of that, and they, uh, you know, pursued uh, methods uh, that were relatively new at the time, um, and, uh, and uh, had a real impact. You know, people don't realize that bootlegging didn't end with prohibition. Uh, after uh, prohibition was repealed, uh, liquor was legal, but now it was heavily taxed both at the federal and state level, and so bootleggers continued to make a lot of money through the 30s, into the 40s, uh, and this was a big problem in a lot of big cities, but it was not a big problem in Chicago, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that Ness, during the, uh, the Untouchables period and, and directly afterwards, uh, did a really good job of dismantling that mob uh, operation. Well, you know, you said about methods. Talk for a minute, if you would, about some of those methods, because he comes in, and as you say, Capone's running the whole show. Nobody could do anything to stop this. Uh, you know, he, he was actually a hero among some of the common folk and so forth. How, what, what, what were some of the things he put in that really started to put a dent in Capone's power? First thing he did was put in wiretaps at every known uh, Capone haunt. Uh, and at this time, wiretapping was relatively new, and there weren't any rules applied to it. You didn't have to get a judge's okay to put a, a wiretap in. And so he just 
blanketed, uh, you know, uh, the city with, with uh, wiretaps. Um, and, and so that was extremely valuable because it took a while for uh, Capone and his men to realize uh, where this information, uh, where, you know, how Ness was finding out about some of this stuff. At the same time, uh, while even though Capone uh, was so su- successful in bribing uh, public officials and uh, policemen, uh, he still went to great pains to keep his big breweries in secret locations, um, and went to you know took a lot of measures to uh, to camouflage them. Um, and so Ness uh, figured out that uh, they reused their the beer barrels, and so he set up stakeouts outside of uh, big speakeasies, uh, and they followed the barrels so that were the empty ones were picked up uh, late at night and taken to a barrel cleaning facility, and then on back to a brewery. And so that took some really intricate uh, uh, work on the part of uh, Ness and his team, because it's the middle of the night, there's almost no traffic, and so they've got to follow these guys without being seen. Uh, and so they would go, you know, like one block or two blocks, and then they would, you know, turn off so that they wouldn't be, uh, you, know, uh, you know, figured out. Right. And then they come back the next night and do the same thing with another couple of blocks, and they did it, or they go along parallel streets. And so it took them quite a while to, you know, follow them all the way back to the barrel cleaning facility and then over to a brewery. Uh, but it worked, and they uh, they took down quite a few breweries. It's incredible. But you, know, the part of the book that I thought was particularly interesting was what he did after this. He goes to Cleveland. Uh, he was the public safety director there. You know, not only was he continuing some of the great work that he did in Chicago, but also his, um, as you talk about in the book, he put in some of these type of approaches that have worked to this day in terms of policing uh, a city and so forth. That's right. I mean, his greatest work was in Cleveland, uh, and it's uh, just not widely known. Um, he came in, he was uh, 33 years old when he became safety director in Cleveland, which was then the sixth largest city in the country. Um, it was, uh, a, with Capone at Alcatraz now, it was uh, arguably the most mobbed-up city in the country. Uh, the police department was uh, completely owned by the mob. You had police officers out there doing the mob's work for them. Um, uh, Ness, uh, th- this is why he got the job, because uh, the police department was so corrupt that uh, other people, you know, who were more qualified uh, didn't want it. Uh, a new mayor had come in, Harold Burton, who was a reformer. He later became a Supreme Court justice. Um, and he had uh, a U.S. attorney in mind and a, a U.S. Secret Service agent uh, who was from Cleveland, and they both turned him down because they looked at how corrupt that police department was, and they thought it's just going to be too hard to really make an impact. Ness jumped at the opportunity to, to take the job. On day one, he told the press he was going to weed out every single trader in the police department. Uh, he went out and he hired a group of secret investigators. Uh, they were officially hired as uh, city parking lot attendants and city janitors, that kind of thing, because... This was before uh, internal affairs divisions in police departments. Wow. Uh, so those guys went out and started uh, investigating the police, and Ness led that effort. He didn't want to be a guy who sat behind the desk. Within a year, he convicted uh, uh, almost a dozen uh, senior police officers, and so many dozen more uh, started headed for the exit, you know, taking early retirement if they could, and he just turned over that police department. And at the same time, 
you know, he started all these innovations. You know, the first uh, police academy in Cleveland. Uh, mm-hmm. Before Ness, new police officers were just given uh, a badge and a gun and sent out into the streets to, to, to learn by doing. And so Ness changed that. Uh, he also loved new technology, um, things like uh, lie detector tests, ballistics, um, <clears throat> blood work, all that kind of thing. Wow. He, uh, he helped pioneer that work. This was even before the FBI lab. That's, that's incredible. And also, I understand he uh, did something that we take for granted now. He put everybody in squad cars where you could see what they were, you know, that they were the police and so forth, uh, radio systems to go back and forth. I mean, we take that for granted, but apparently when he did it, it was uh, pretty uh, revolutionary. Right. I remember uh, a car was a luxury for, for most people until, um, you know, the post-war era. Um, and the typical way that uh, you know cities were policed was by a police officer walking a beat. During the Depression, uh, budgets were squeezed, and Ness uh, simply didn't have the manpower to have officers out walking every beat that needed to be patrolled. And so he, he put guys into cars. Uh, the city couldn't afford to buy a fleet of cars, so he had to lease them. Um, There's only 32 of them originally. Uh, but he painted them uh, this kind of gaudy uh, tricolor scheme. Uh, the officers hated it. They, they thought, you know, they were driving around in clown cars. Um, but it was effective because uh, the, the color uh, was so striking that people on the street remembered seeing a police car. And so it gave the impression that these cars were, were always around and they were everywhere because you remembered seeing them. Um, and he had a lot of success with all of these innovations. Uh, it's the Depression, and so crime is spiking in most big cities. In Cleveland, it's falling fast. Wow. And so other uh, big city police chiefs started to take note of what Ness was doing uh, and, and started to uh, adopt many of the same policies. Uh, one thing I haven't mentioned yet, he also embraced crime prevention practices, which uh, was heavily criticized at the time. He was called you know, soft on crime, um, his officers were derided as social workers uh, because he sent them out to really work the communities, um, you know, and, and try to find ways to improve the communities. He would work with uh, youth gangs and to work with the homeless. Uh, he created a jobs program, which was well beyond his purview as safety director, but he saw the need. He saw that young people needed jobs and apprenticeships and things like that, and so he made it happen. And uh, all of those things are pro forma today for a big city police department. But he was uh, he was the first to do it. You know, with with all he did and with his like fearlessness when it came to going after the biggest crime gods of the time, was his life always in danger? I mean, I would imagine that you know, starting with Capone and all the way through, they must have wanted to just get rid of this guy. It was uh, sometimes in danger. Uh, Capone was a pretty smart guy, and he he knew it wouldn't. Uh, behoove him to start killing uh, uh, the, the guys who were tasked to go after him. That would just turn uh, public opinion against him. Um, but certainly they, in Chicago, they harassed uh, Ness. Um, in Cleveland, uh, I would say his life was probably a little more in danger. Uh, he, he, someone shot at him once when he was driving home from work. Uh, threats did come in. Um, he, it, he never seemed to be too bothered by this. So again, he, he kind of got a rush out of this kind of thing. Um, his wives had a real hard time with it. 
Yeah. Um, and this was another stress on his marriages. Um, you know, at this time, wives were expected to stay at home, and so he didn't. They didn't have children, and so his wife was kind of sitting at home, you know, all day long. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, feeling kind of vulnerable because here Ness was, you know, uh, crashing the mob, uh, front page headlines all the time with threats, you know, coming in. Um, so it's, uh, it, it was a, uh, an interesting time for him, that's for sure. What did the folks in Cleveland think of him? And was he a big hero to the people there? Or did a lot of this go unnoticed at the time? No, he was a huge hero. Uh, I mean, uh, corruption was taken for granted there. It was kind of assumed that nothing could ever be done about it. And so when he came in, uh, and started, uh, turning things around, uh, he became a huge celebrity. He uh, was, uh, you know, people approached him on the street all the time. He had a favorite restaurant that he went to uh, for lunch every day, and people would wait outside that restaurant five, six deep just to, you know, watch him come and go. Um, you know, women threw themselves yeah. at him, quite frankly. Um, so he was a huge celebrity during the heyday. Um, he then, uh, after the war, you know, during the war he went to Washington, D.C., came back later and ran for mayor um, in Cleveland. But by then, uh, times had changed. Um, He'd been away for a few years, and, you know, memories are short. And uh, he was starting to slip into alcoholism, and it didn't go so well for him. Well, I I wanted to talk to you about the alcoholism, because, I mean, that seems quite ironic, considering what he did in his early days. What what, Just, uh, you know, the stress got to him, and then just got more and more involved in it, or what? Yeah, he he was... You know, he was always in very high-stress jobs. Uh, he was—he always was a drinker. He started drinking in college. He drank throughout Prohibition. He—he he was always upfront in saying that he was not a reformer. Uh, he was not opposed to uh, vices like drinking or gambling. Uh, his issue was that when these kinds of things were taken over by uh, by the mob, um, you know, revenue from uh, bootlegging or from gambling or whatever, funded uh, much more heinous uh, crimes like, you know, white slavery and, and even murder. And so that's why they had to be uh, attacked. Uh, but he was never opposed to, you know, you know, personal drinking or, you know, putting a few dollars down on a, on a horse. Mm. Um, and so he always drank. In fact, you know, uh, during, you know, the Untouchables period, uh, when reporters would come to his office to interview him, uh, you know, they would they would leave with uh, some uh, some booze in their pockets. You know, it's a great way to get on the good side of the of the reporters and to to get good publicity. Um, but as the years went by, he, yeah, the the stress got to him. Uh, he, there was a, a famous serial killer case in Cleveland that that haunted him, um, and he just started to drink more and drink more during the war was. Again, you know, a very stressful time for everybody. Um, and uh, so by the, you know, middle 40s, um, he started to really have trouble with alcohol. And he was a guy, too, which I found interesting. You talk about it. He could really breed loyalty in his men, which uh, was something at that time. I mean, guys that were older than he was and so forth. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to realize, as you say, even when he went to Cleveland, that's pretty young to have that kind of responsibility. It wasn't just that, you know, he was so fearless himself that, and such a great leader. 
that uh, he could inspire guys that were otherwise uh, they 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 weren't ready to follow anybody in, in, into the you know into the war so to speak. But in this case, you just couldn't help yourself but uh, support this guy. That was part of it, absolutely. You know, he he people saw that he was uh, uh, incorruptible, and uh, you know. Uh, Officers saw that he wasn't asking them to do anything, that he wasn't willing to go out and do himself, and that he did go out and do all the time himself. He, he you know, thrived on putting himself in the most dangerous situations. And so officers wanted to be a part of that, and they wanted to, uh, you know, do the same things that Ness was doing. Um, so, you know, he, he also was just, Likeable, you know, he wasn't one of those kind of leaders who uh, screamed at people or or denigrated people. Uh, he was always very respectful. Um, he was uh, he was kind to people. He was understanding of their own failings. Uh, he had a great uh, self-deprecating sense of humor, and so people just liked being around him. He, he was uh, he was a particularly good mentor of of uh, young uh, police officers. He brought a lot of people personally recruited a lot of people into the police department in Cleveland. Uh, and those, those guys uh, stayed true and loyal to the, to the bitter end for him. And I think that's why this book is so important, because it really is a story of an American hero, no question about it. But if you've got that Robert Stack image in mind, uh, just what you're describing there is nothing like we saw there. This guy is ultra serious, never smiles, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, it's really... Uh, it takes the mythology out of it, but when you're done, you got to say this guy was certainly an American hero. I think he was absolutely. I mean, he he had his failings. Uh, that's that's certainly true. Um, but I came away from you know more than two years of research, uh, really admiring him and liking him, and uh, and uh, realizing uh, you know what important work he did and how what we see every day in the police work in our cities. Um, uh, some of the good stuff, you know, can be traced back directly to innovations that Ness put into place. Well, the book is Elliot Ness, The Rise and Fall of an American Hero. Douglas, uh, people, I assume, can get it everywhere, right? Absolutely. Uh, you can go to my website at douglasperry.net, uh, but it's, also, it's uh, available on Amazon. It's available uh, at Barnes & Noble and uh, probably at your uh, local uh, bookstore as well. Well, we'll certainly look forward. Thanks for being with us today, Douglas. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Vegas, here we go! Are you tired of high cable TV rates? Sign up for Dish today and get a $500 bonus offer while supplies last. Plus, lock in your price for two years guaranteed. Call All-American Dish, your Dish-authorized retailer now. 800-344-2066. 800-344-2066. That's 800-344-2066. Offers require credit qualification, 24-month commitment, early termination fee, and e-auto pay. Restrictions apply. Call for details. 
Have you written a book? You can become a published author with Dorrance Publishing, the nation's oldest publishing services company. Countless authors have trusted Dorrance for nearly a hundred years to bring their book to the market. Our professional team will edit your text, design your book pages, and create an appealing, eye-catching custom cover. Plus, our authors benefit from a custom book promotion marketing campaign that makes your book available where people buy books, like Amazon and brick-and-mortar bookstores. So make this free call right now to claim your free author's guide to publishing. Don't wait another day. Take one step closer to realizing your dream of becoming a published author and seeing your name in print. You've already written a book, so the next thing to do is make this free call right now to Dorn's Publishing and get your free guide to publishing. Call right now. Call 800-923-8625. That's 800-923-8625. Holy gentle giants, dog food, Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader, and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can, too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. Hey guys, it's me, Isabella Gomez, filling in for Smokey Bear because he's got more to say than just... Only you can prevent wildfires. Like, if you're outside enjoying a barbecue, don't let a hamburger distract you from fire safety. Make sure you aren't dumping your hot coals or ashes onto the ground because that could start a wildfire. So take wildfire prevention seriously and let's save the world one day at a time. Juntos con Smokey Bear, podemos hacerlo. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. 